Hello, and welcome to the Covenant Fellowship Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us. Today's message is here to help you preach the good news everywhere in your day-to-day life. Here at Covenant Fellowship, we accomplish this by encountering God, loving people, and serving others with everything we've got. Now let's dive in. All right, I want you to stand one more time for the reading of God's Word. Y'all feel like popcorn this morning? Up and down, up and down, up and down. Second Chronicles chapter 32. And here we go. The Bible says after this, verse 9. How many know to say after this, there has to be a before this? After this. We'll fill in that blank for you in just a few moments. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, sent his servant to his servants to Jerusalem, but he and all the forces with him laid siege against Lachish. To Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah who were in Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, In what do you trust that you remain under siege in Jerusalem? Does not Hezekiah persuade you to give yourself over to die by famine and by thirst, saying, The Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Has not this same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, saying, You shall worship before one altar and burn incense on it? Do you not know that I and my fathers have done all to all the peoples of the lands? We were gods to the nations of those lands in any way able, excuse me, were the gods of those nations of those lands in any way able to deliver their lands out of my hand? Who were there among you, all the gods of those nations that my fathers utterly destroyed that could deliver his people from my hand that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or persuade you like this. And do not believe him, for no God of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? Furthermore, this servants, this, excuse me, furthermore, his servants spoke against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. He also wrote letters to revile the Lord of God of Israel and to speak against him saying as the gods of the nations of other lands have not delivered their people from my hand so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand then they called out with a loud voice in Hebrew to the people how many know the devil tries to talk in a language you can understand called out in, the, in, in a voice in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten them and to trouble them that they might take the city. And they spoke against the God of Jerusalem as against the gods of the people of the earth. The work of men's hands now became, now because of the king, now because of this king Hezekiah and the prophets 
or excuse me, in the prophet Isaiah. Let me back up. I, I got ahead of myself. Now because of this, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried out to heaven. Somebody say, uh-oh. Then the Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader, and captain in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned shamefaced to his own land. And when he had gone into the temple of his God, some of his own offspring struck him down with the sword there. Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others, and guided them on every side. And many brought gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations thereafter. Would you pray for me? Let me pray for you, and let's ask God to move. Father, we love you today. Thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you, Lord, that it is the way that the young man might be able to cleanse his way. Lord, it, it is the, the, the fruit of our lips. It is honey to the honeycomb. It is what we need in this hour. Now speak to us a rhema word, not just the logos, not just off of the pages of the Bible, but speak to everyone individually all at the same time the word that they individually need to hear. Father, we thank you for it. We give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you've done any study of the Word of God, you know that there, uh, or any historical study, you'll know that there is a, an empire of old called the Assyrian Empire. And when you look at the history of the Assyrian Empire, you'll recognize that it was one of the most brutal empires on the face of the earth as it existed. There are things about the Assyrians that when you read history is so appalling. They would cut off limbs of people, arms and legs, ears, tongues, gouge out eyeballs, all with the idea that you don't speak against, you don't act against the Assyrians. And when you read of their brutality and their show of force, they did this as they were conquering empires throughout their reign and their time. And as they were conquering these different places, obviously they made their way to uh, the nation of Israel. And if you know history, you know it was the Assyrians that conquered the northern tribes where the capital city was Samaria, the northern tribes of Israel, the ten of the north, the kingdom of Israel was, was destroyed by the Assyrians. And the, the southern kingdom, which is called Judah, the southern kingdom, which consisted of Judah and, and Benjamin, the southern two kingdoms now were being threatened by this superpower. And they're being threatened, and the king that is reigning at this time, his name is Sennacherib. And Sennacherib is one who is so brutal, if you read some of his conquest, you'll hear his own brutality. There's an archaeologist who was digging in Mosul, Iraq, 
and unearthed a very famous cylinder. This cylinder looked more like a prism. When you, they unearthed this and was reading some of the old language, you find a, the, that Sennacherib signs his name and talks about different things that he'd done. And one of the things that he talk about, talks about on this cylinder is this very story that I just read to you in the Scripture. He writes on there that he had laid siege to the nation of Israel and that he was, because Hezekiah refused to pay the tax, this enormous tax, that now he was going to attack the southern kingdom of Judah. And he had started his attack and overtook 46 cities. He said, I overtook 46 cities from King Hezekiah and he blockaded himself in Jerusalem like a little bird in a cage. And it ends there. It ends there because now he, during this time, he goes to battle in Lachish. And he's taking another city, but he sends three people. This same story is in the book of 2 Kings chapter 18. You'll find the name of the three guys that he sends along with around 200,000 soldiers. Isaiah says it's 198,000 because you can see this in the book of Isaiah. And so it's, a, it's, it's an incredible, incredible story that is both biblical and historically accurate because you know how many know the Bible's true. Some people struggle with the Bible. I, I got past that a long time ago. It's matchless in historical value. It's matchless in prophetic value. It's matchless when it comes to every other writing on the planet. The Bible is matchless. You can think that it has some type of religious value and you might struggle with what makes the Bible more superior than the Quran or what makes the Bible more superior than other writings of other religions because it's, it, it's, it's extraordinary accurate, both, both historical and prophetic. Its prophetic value is so accurate that the top eight prophecies of Jesus, mathematicians say it would take one into the 17th power to be able to match that. That is one in 17 zeros behind it. To be able to just equal to eight, and there are more than 200 prophecies of Jesus. So the top eight are powerful, powerful things such as where he would be born, how he would be born through a virgin. I mean, like, who else would match up to that? Its prophetic value is so, so high. And so as archaeologists are digging in some of these places where Assyria, the Assyrian Empire's hub was, mostly in Iraq, uh, they're, they're unearthing some things, and this is one of the things that they unearthed was this cylinder of Sennacherib. And here he is. He is threatening the people of God. Now he is ruling in a large, large area of the east, and he has come to the time whereby he is fed up with the fact that this guy, Hezekiah, in a land called Judah, which means praise, 
So, you know, it's, 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 it's scary to attack praise. Now, I don't want to go down just a little hype moment right here, but just, just so that you understand, don't ever criticize somebody else's praise. Don't ever get to the place that you're willing to attack praise. Well, I just don't like that. I just don't like that. You better be careful attacking praise. God, listen, the top ten tribes, they all fail. They all fail. But the lower tribes in Judah, God says you ain't attacking this place. There's a prophecy about that, and we'll get to that in just a few moments. But the king of Assyria, here he comes. He's, he's ready to attack. He's ready to get this thing on, and he's going to attack. His name is Sennacherib. Now, how many know the Bible The Bible names mean something? There's usually, that was, a, that was actually something of the culture of old, is that people didn't just name people cool names. People's names meant something. Sennacherib's name, do you know what his name means? The sin god of many brothers. The sin god of many brothers. Isn't that crazy? The sin god, who, who would want to be named the sin god? But that gives you a little bit of inkling in the way he saw himself as a god. He saw himself as a god, and he would go to these other nations who worship false gods, and as he destroyed them, it only led to feed his ego and his thinking. When he went to different lands and he would overthrow that country, and let's say that country like, the, like, like some of those who uh, worshipped uh, Dagon. Do you remember the Philistines worshipped Dagon, for instance? Let's say when Sennacherib went to a country and they worshipped Dagon and he was able to overthrow the country, it fed into his mindset, I really am a god and I'm more superior than any of these other gods. And you hear this throughout this passage of Scripture. You hear this to the point that it, he begins to take on the mindset that I am a superior God and no other country is able to withstand me. He sows that into some leadership of his army who truly believe. There are writings of folks who truly believed that Sennacherib was a God, that the gods had come down in Sennacherib and that they are now ruling in this area. And how many know Evil can persuade a lot of people. Some of you don't know because we're getting farther and farther away from the Holocaust, but evil can persuade a lot of people to do things that is so grotesque and terrible. So Sennacherib coming in, he's got some people fooled because in reality he's only got a mask on. It's about a creepy looking mask, isn't it? This is my illustration today, my creepy mask. I'm not going to put it on because it kind of creeps me out in and of itself. I might just hold it up a little bit. Might use this a little bit throughout this series here. I hope you get this. What really has happened is that Sennacherib, through his image, his mindset of himself, actually is masking something behind him that throughout this series we're going to unearth, and I pray that helps every single one of us understand some thought processes that led potentially to the overthrowing of the top, the, the, the ten nations 
are the ten tribes, the northern nation of Israel, and that overthrew so many other people. So let's look at this for just a few minutes. He praised, Sennacherib praised himself as God. He was cruel and very boastful. He destroyed many nations before him. 200,000 of his men come riding into Jerusalem because they are now upset at Hezekiah for not paying the tax. If you look at any of the history behind this, Hezekiah knew this was coming. How many know when you start resisting and you start just devoting yourself to God, it's only a matter of time for the enemy sees you as a threat? Talk to me, somebody. How many know that's why it's so important for somebody that when they first get saved, man, you got to get on them. We got to get on. We talked about this yesterday. Understand me? We really got to get on making sure that we help them because the enemy sees that as a threat now. When you start saying, I'm going to serve God, I'm going to listen to what he says, I'm going to have my faith built by the word of God, how many of you know that enemy, the enemy don't like that? Hezekiah is saying we're not going to serve any other God but Jehovah. Listen, if you read about Hezekiah, when he first takes the throne of the southern kingdom of Judah, he leads one of the greatest revivals in the nation's history. His dad had gotten into pagan worship and they had built shrines and altars to false gods throughout Israel. And Hezekiah goes and tears all of those down, including the one in his own dad's yard. He tears them down. He utterly destroys them. And he says, no, we're not going to worship false gods here. We're only going to worship the one true and living God, Jehovah. That's who we're going to worship. He leads one of the greatest movements of back to God in the nation's history. It's a powerful, powerful story. And we're only going to serve God. And, his, and Sennacherib had heard, had heard about it. And so that's why he is telling these people in this passage of Scripture, don't let Hezekiah tell you this bull story that this nation is only going to serve one God. In fact, he's already hurt himself by tearing down all these other altars. Man, there's a story about tearing down all the other altars except for the one that belongs to God in our lives. He tears all of those altars down. How many know that will get God's favor? How many know it got God's favor to the point that when it was about time for him to die, he turned his face toward the wall and started praying. God added 15 years to his life. How many like to be just so on fire for God that God says, get your house in order. This is about to happen. You say, God, I just ask you to bless me. I tried to do what you told me to do. God said, yeah, that's right. I'm going to change it. I'm going to change the course of history because. The same story as I told you is found in 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Chronicles doesn't name these guys. But I want to name the guys that the enemy used to try his best to persuade the people to step away from following God. These three people were leaders in the Assyrian army. They're leading that, cap, that, 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 that group of military advancement against the nation of Judah of those 200,000 soldiers. These three men, I want to give you their names. The first one, his name is Tartan. His name means commander in chief. 
How many of you know when you start serving God and you start standing for God, the enemy tries to pull out the big guns? How many of you feel like the enemy tried to pull out the big guns on you? Huh? Man, when I first got saved, I first gave my life to the Lord, I thought, man, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to love the Lord. He's going to do a work in my life. He put my marriage back together. Listen, I wasn't saved two months. Two months, maybe that long, my vehicle breaks down. Not a big deal. It's mechanical. Everybody has vehicles break down. Not a big deal. Okay? So my vehicle breaks down, so I'm thinking, okay, this is, this is pretty rough. I've got to get this thing fixed. So I don't have another vehicle to drive. My wife needs a vehicle because she's going to church at e, or going to school at ETSU. Dear God, not a church. Uh, going to school at ETSU. And, uh, and I need to go to work. And so the pastor lets us borrow a vehicle. I'm thankful for Brother Wright. He let me borrow a vehicle. A white Ford Crown Victoria. A 23-year-old in a white Ford Crown Victoria. I wanted to drive. I'd, no, just kidding. I'm driving this Crown Victoria. And uh, we, I, we hadn't had this thing two days. And my wife, one day she says, my car is overheating. And I'm thinking, okay, it's got a busted radiator hose or something on it, maybe even a hole in the radiator. I don't know. Small fix. And so I'm driving the Ford Crown Victoria. My wife's vehicle breaks down. I look at seeing what's going on with it, and the freeze plug in the back of the block of the motor has rusted through. In other words, it's not going to be an easy fix. This is going to have to be pulling the motor out because the freeze plug was against the back of the firewall of her Dodge Daytona. And I'm like, oh, man, now we got two vehicles down. And so it has to go to the shop. And the pastor says, no problem, I got another vehicle. Praise the Lord. Thank God for the blessing of God on the man of God because he's willing to bless me. So he says, I, well, kind of bless me. He says, I got a Chevy S10 truck. <laughs> he said, I got a Chevy S10 truck. But it's a straight shift. No problem. I can drive that. My wife can drive that. Not a big deal. We, we, we thank you so very much. We get the, Ford, or the Chevy S10 truck. My wife heads to school. On the way back, she calls me from, she had to pull off, get, go into a store and call me. The clutch went out of the Chevy S10 truck. Dear God. In just a matter of a week, we got three broke-down vehicles now. And during that time, that first of that week, we had actually got a new refrigerator. Yahoo! We got a new refrigerator. Apparently, myself or somebody forgot to tighten the ice maker water on the back of it. We were going to, we were going to work at the end of the week. Three vehicles broke down. We're at the end of the week. The back of that comes off of the refrigerator. And all day long, we only lived in a 14 by 60 mobile home, single wide trailer, trailer trash right here. And I don't mean your trailer trash if you live in a trailer. I don't mean that. Just 
you know, the, the nostalgia that goes with when somebody hears that. So we're living in a 14 by 60 mobile home. The back of it pops off, and I don't know it. I come home that day in that Florida Crown Victoria, and I open the door. I twist. I unlock the door. I twist the handle, and the door won't open. I don't understand what is wrong with the stupid door. It's not open, and I put my shoulder in it. The top of the door leans. The bottom moves about this much. The floors had bowed up so bad I couldn't get the door open. I found out that the back of that little neoprene hose had come off and the house had been flooded. The floors were warped. The cabinets were destroyed on the bottom. And I'm like, dear God, this serving Jesus stuff ain't working for me. I just recently got saved and all of this begins to happen. And I'm thinking, man, the enemy has got my number. This is not going to work out good. I might as well give up. And I could hear the taunts of the enemy. I've got your number and I'm coming after you. Man, I'm telling you, I'm in a mess after that first little bit of trying to serve God. How many of them, that's not the end of the story? I ain't standing here because I gave up. I'm standing here because God wouldn't let me give up. Anyway, this Tartan guy, here he is. He's the commander-in-chief, someone who looks big, someone who looks bad. But how many know the enemy always appears intimidating? I don't know if you have ever had those intimidating moments of the enemy who manifests himself in such terrible ways that all of a sudden sparks fear. I remember one night I was asleep in my bed. I had a terrible dream, a terrible dream. The dream was that the enemy was trying to kill me. I'd started preaching. The enemy was really trying to kill me in my dream. And the only thing about that dream was I recognized it and I was trying to wake up, but I couldn't wake up. I knew I needed to wake up because I need to call on God. I need to say the Lord's name. And I thought, well, I can't wake up, but I still have my mouth. And when I, just about the time I tried to call on the name of the Lord, it was as if something went over my mouth like that. I couldn't call on the name of the Lord. And I'm thinking, what in the world am I going to do? I can't call on the name of the Lord. I can't wake up. Is this really going to be the end? But how do you know that's not the end? God always makes a way. I don't know if the enemy has ever come at you like that. And some of you got the testimonies that the enemy came at you. Some of you may recognize this mask because I ain't always lived at the foot of the cross and probably you haven't either. This mask is one that is notorious for... Uh, the guy Michael Myers, who basically was a young child lunatic who later became a murder fiction, okay? Un terrible fiction. But they made a bunch of movies about it. And just the view of that mask spark, just would spark fear in you because it's so stoic. And so intimidating, so blank, hollow eyes. Just a very, very terrifying thing. 
Many of you need to understand, sometimes the enemy comes looking just like this. And it has the potential to make you shrink back. Has the potential to make you feel helpless. Has the potential to make you feel like, how do I get victory? How many know the enemy always comes with a plan to try to destroy your life? For as long as you live... And as long as you serve God, there's going to be seasons and times in your life that the enemy is going to come at you in a very intimidating way. Even when the enemy came to try to destroy Jesus as a little baby, he came back later in the wilderness. And even after the wilderness, he came back at another season and at another time. And someone would say, wait a minute, why would I have to keep fighting this? Because the enemy truly thinks he can win. What you got to understand is you got to believe that there's no way he can. Come on, somebody. The just lives by faith. But you got to have something to build your faith on. I'm glad you're here this morning. Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you know what I know what's happening this morning? I know that through all of these stories and things I'm trying to tell you about the Word of God, something is happening in your innermost being, and I believe faith is going to come alive. This first guy, he thinks he's commander-in-chief. He's the guy in control. But the Bible says something about the enemy. The Bible says something about the enemy. In Isaiah 14, it says, Yet you shall be brought low to down to Sheol, or that's the Old Testament word for hell, to the lower depths of the pit. Those who see you shall gaze at you and consider you saying, who is this that, that, that made the earth tremble and kingdoms to shook? Many think that that was a prophecy, not just about the devil, but potentially also the king of Assyria. Because as I read in this passage of Scripture just a few moments ago, when Hezekiah goes to pray, he partners with a prophet called Isaiah. So some think that that was not just a prophecy about the doom of the devil at the later years, but it was a prophecy. There's a theological term that says for the now and later process of the prophecy. Yes, it means for the doom of Assyria, but it also means for the doom of the devil. Can you say amen to that? And so the, the, there's a scripture that says that this, the, 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 the enemy is going to be destroyed. How many of you know that it's important to get a word of God that gives you the promise that the enemy shall be destroyed? Say amen. amen. The second guy that comes against them, his name is Rabazar, and he's, his name means chief of heads. How many know the enemy uses a lot of talking heads? The enemy uses a lot of talking heads. When the enemy is out to destroy you, he doesn't just come sending the big guns. There's always somebody to back him up. There's always somebody who believes the lies of the enemy 
all of the sin lies of the enemy of the sin God and starts believing in those and then turns their aggression against the people of God and starts saying things, backing things that others say up. They may tell you that going to church ain't worth it, that serving God ain't worth it, that praying ain't worth it, that shouting's not worth it, that speaking in tongues is dumb, that laying hands on a people's crazy, all the stuff them church people do, that's foolish, all those places they won't go and those things they won't get involved in, that's a bunch of stupidity, that's a bunch of hogwash, it's just religion, how many know you've heard it all? Come on, somebody. How many know you've heard it? People been in your face talking about it. People's been in my face talking about it. People said to me, you're a preacher? You propagate and pollute people with that stupidity from the Bible? I mean, they, they, say, they, they say things like, oh, the magic guy in the sky? You believe in that? What kind of foolishness is that? People will say all kinds of things. There's plenty of talking heads to try to tell you that there's no way to win, that God is distant that God doesn't want him to have anything to do with you but I'm thankful that my Bible says the devil is a he's a liar yeah I'm thankful I'm thankful for that you better be careful that you don't get employed in, as one of the talking heads for the enemy we got so much to unmask over the next couple of weeks, I pray that you're here for all of this entire series today is just an overview we'll dive in a little bit deeper as this time goes on the enemy is so, he, it's as if though he's employed other people that walk around willing to spout off the threats. So you got to get the picture. Hezekiah is shut up in Jerusalem. He is, but how many know he had a plan? I went to Jerusalem. I went to Israel in 2007, and I got to go to Isaiah or Hezekiah's tunnel. You don't know what Hezekiah Tunnel is if you hadn't done any of the history of it. And if you, you can see a little bit of it in the scripture, but you got to go there to see it. It's a powerful thing. He already knew that Sennacherib wouldn't like the fact that he's unwilling to pay homage of any kind to the enemy. So what he'd done was took some people Months and months before the invasion actually happened, and he said, I know what the enemy will try to do. He'll try to stop our water supply. You didn't know I was going to talk about some water and well and all that stuff. But there's a well outside of the city called, or a spring called Guyon. And that was the water supply for the city, the fresh spring water supply for the city. And he knew one of the battle tactics of the enemy is stop the water. Because if the enemy can stop the water, he'll thirst people to death. <laughs> I'm so glad for the wellspring of the Holy Ghost and the flowing water of the Spirit of God that is free to move in this place. Aren't you glad of that? Say amen. How many of you know that's the, that's the water supply that keeps us from thirsting from anything else? Because this well we drink from, there's nothing else will satisfy. Come on. Can I get, do I have any witnesses in this building today that there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of our God? How many of you know that the Lord is like a river, a strong flooding river that brings life, as Rachel opened up with this morning? Hezekiah knew he was coming and threw solid rock back before dynamite, back before pneumatic tools, 
back before hydraulic tooling, they cut through solid rock for one quarter of a mile to tap into a water source that would flow under the city. You can go down into it today and see it. They built a channel so that the water would flow from the spring into the city because I believe God prepares his people for battle. And I believe one of the first things he's going to tell us to prepare for, you better have a flow of water coming into you. You better have a flow of the Holy Ghost coming into your life. You better have a flow of God's goodness coming into your life. Can you say amen to that one right there? The beauty of this history is amazing. He makes this water supply come so that when these enemies come and they think they can stop the water supply and thirst these people to death where they'll just actually open the door and tell the enemy to come on in. There was a time in the nations, he did this with the northern kingdom and you know what they started doing? Drinking their own urine. Does some of these scriptures make sense when I'm telling this story now? They start drinking their own urine, eating their own offspring. Because the battle tactic of the Assyrians was brutal. Lock you up in your city, no, no commerce coming in and going out, no water coming in and going out, the food will dry up, nothing to eat and nothing to drink, and you get so hungry and you get so thirsty, and all they got to do is wait you out. But if you're a praiser, if you're a praiser, when you live in Judah, come on, somebody, when you live in Judah, you, you want to know why we make so much noise around here, why we're not a skirt to praise God? Because <laughs> I recognize there's something happens in Judah that doesn't happen anywhere else. God begins to move. God is in that play. God moves in the praises of his people. The next guy. He's, his name is Rabshakeh. It's actually not a name. It's a title. Sounds intimidating, right? Here comes the Rabshakeh. Sound like it ought to be a wrestling name. Rabshakeh off the top rope. How many of y'all watched wrestling growing up? NWO? No. The Four Horsemen. How many of y'all remember Sting? Y'all remember when Sting faced the fake Sting that dressed up just like him? Some of y'all don't remember that. You wasn't that much into it. I wasn't either, but there's some things that stick out. You remember when they used to have the old, uh, the, the guys that always wore masks? And the match plot was to get the dude down, get the mask off of his face and see who's really trying to fight you. How many times did you watch it and it was actually a member of your own team that didn't like you, that decided they in one, one show they're your best buddy, but in the next show you have to wrestle whoever the mask dude was 
And, and the announcer was playing it up. We don't know who this new guy is. He just came in on the scene, and he's strong, and he probably can take out Jimmy Snooker or whoever. I'm trying to come up with a name. Yeah, I remember that name. But it would be the match, and they would get him down, and they'd start trying to take the mask off, and they're trying to hold it. But when they get the mask off, Seemed a whole lot less intimidating. The whole reason you joined this team was because I beat you back a long time ago and you wanted to be on a winning team. The whole drama. That's the men's soap opera, by the way, from the years gone by. It wasn't as the world turns. It was as if they come off the top rope. Y'all don't act like you're so sanctified. You know what I'm talking about. The Rabshakeh. Do you know who the Rabshakeh was during this time? The cupbearer. The cupbearer for the sin god. He thought he had a great position, but do you know what the job of the cupbearer was? Was to taste every drink for the king because many kings were killed by the fact that someone would poison them. And the first one to drop over dead was the one that you saw the most expendable. He thought he had value, but he really ain't worth anything, at least to the king. These three, these three leaders, how many, know, how many know the devil tries, I told you this last week, tries to match and emulate God. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, now you got the three, these guys trying to, make some type of triunity to, in order to un, undermine Hezekiah. Chief of princes is actually what that title means. Rabshakeh means chief of, uh, chief of princes, but it was the name given to the cupbearer. He not only had a job of tasting it, but he actually had to wash the dishes. The devil had to send the dishwasher. It's a replaceable position, but he sends him to the land, these guys to the land of Judah, which means praise, to a man named Hezekiah. Do you know what the name Hezekiah means? Him whom Jehovah strengthens. The devil needs to watch his battles. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Him who the Lord strengthens. I don't know about you, but has God put his strength in you? I don't know about you. Have you read scriptures about God making you more than a conqueror? Let me translate, God strengthen you. Have you heard of scriptures that God making you the head and not the tail? Deuteronomy 28. Him whom God strengthened. Talking about now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. How many know when the Spirit of God's in you, that's a strengthening? Talk to me, somebody. I know y'all ready to go eat chicken, but give me just a couple more minutes. Him whom Jehovah strengthened. Here's what he does. He gets with a prayer partner. The prophet Isaiah. Do you know what the name Isaiah means? The salvation of the Lord. Somebody whose name, the salvation of the Lord gets with somebody whom the Lord strengthens, who does the devil 
think that he is. I don't understand what the enemy's plot was, but here's what I can tell you. It wasn't going to work here. Now, listen, I know that using these names and trying to just give you a surface-level understanding might not seem as profound as you might think, but I need you to put yourself in the shoes of one who is hearing these chants from the enemy. Every lie, somebody say every lie, has to have a hint of truth to make it believable. How many of you know these guys were saying no nation has been able to withstand us? These guys were saying no other gods have been able to deliver us. How many of you know that takes a strong faith and dedication in the God that you serve? Come on, somebody. How many of you know that takes a strong dedication in knowing the God that you serve? You have to be able to look at the reality of the fact that what God has invested in you and what the Lord is doing in you and when everything else for everybody else has crumbled, you got to be willing to say, I'm going to stand on the truth of the Lord because really behind all of the masking of the lies of the enemy lies a defeated, already defeated foe. Did you hear what I said? An already defeated foe. I know that in Revelation the enemy will be chained. I know that his eternal judgment is coming. But you need to hear me. He is already defeated. You need to read the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians says that God, Jesus Christ, stripped him of all of his power. Made a public spectacle by triumphing over the one thing that the enemy always used as a tool to cripple the people of God called the law. And that law would say, you didn't measure up in its overall arching theme. It gave us a picture of the perfect standard of God and the imperfection of humanity. But Colossians says that Jesus hanging on a cross stripped every bit of that power away from him. Now all the enemy does is put on an intimidating mask. But if you can just get the mask off. If you could just wrestle in the right way. The Bible says, for we wrestle or not against flesh and blood. But against principalities and powers. You know what that word wrestle, you know what it means? Wrestle. It actually means Wrestle. It means what you got to do. What is the wrestling that I got to do? Just simply take the mask off. The mask is intimidating. Man, listen to me. If I were to put this on, I wouldn't do this because you'd probably shoot me, but if I were to put this on and have been sitting at the end of your bed this morning when you got up, <laughs> you know that'd freak you out. That would freak me out. Because that's intimidating. In the right moment, like right now, me holding this in, your, in my hand, that's no big deal. How many of you ever walked around in a church in the middle of the night late? Dear God, won't it freak you out? Like you hear stuff. All that stuff we put on the run, <laughs> he wants to get back in. Freak you out. If you was walking around in the middle of the church and somebody stepped around a corner with one of these on, 
Dear God, all the strength would probably go out. And a few more things. Like, that would be so scary, me doing this right now, but at a time and at a place, at a moment, at a time, it can be very scary. At a moment, at a time, the enemy can seem to be very, very scary. And the Bible says, there's where the wrestling match starts. Because what he does is he tries all of his moves. If he needs to use talking heads, whatever he needs to use to try to intimidate, to try, what is he after, friends? What is he really after? What is he after? He's after your trust and faith and belief in God. He's after your, your solid foundation in the things that God says. We just got out of a series. You remember that series? And we dealt with Genesis 3. The enemy was after the word that was spoken. The enemy wanted to undermine the word of the Lord. I shared with you his defeat in Isaiah. What you have to believe, what Hezekiah had to believe, was that the promise of God... The promise of God. Let me share with you another prophecy real quickly. And let me share this with you. I didn't give this to the guys in the back, but let me share this one with you. It comes from Isaiah 37. It says, Isaiah 37, 33 35 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and he shall not come into this city, says the Lord, for I will defend this city. I save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. There was a prophecy that said the devil will not win. You know what Hezekiah had to do? He had to believe it. He had to say, I don't care how many nations have fallen. I don't care how many cities he has taken. I don't care how many people have given up. I don't care how many people who have died of this. I don't care how many people have had to face this same fight and fail to it. I don't care how many people have walked through the same dark valley. I am not going to allow the intimidation or lies of the enemy to undermine my faith. I'm going to stand on the word of the Lord and know that it shall be established in my life for this city for this time and when you recognize you've got something to stand on and something to fight with if you even got to dig a tunnel to get the water continuously flowing so that you don't have to run in any other direction just let the water continue whatever you got to do you do what you got to do so that the, the water continues to flow and you don't bow down can you imagine the enemy trying to intimidate Hezekiah? If you'll go ahead and pay the tax, if you'll go ahead and give up now, if you'll go ahead and surrender, it'll be all right. And nothing bad will happen to you if you'll go ahead and do it now. I can imagine him having to talk with himself. 
Y'all ever have a talk with yourself? Stand with me. Come on, worship team, come up here. You ever had a talk with yourself? You ain't crazy when you look in the mirror and say, self, let me tell you something. You ever have a talk with yourself? You ever have to just get self by the lapels and say, self, you need to hear what I'm telling you right now. I can imagine Hezekiah. All the pressures of leadership. People saying, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how we're going to make it. How many know so many people in your family? I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how all this is going to work out. All the naysayers. All the naysayers. I'm telling you one thing, bless God. It's all coming down. All the naysayers. I can imagine him under the pressure of that moment. Any of you have led a business, any of you have ever led anything, there's pressure from all kinds of sides. People want it this way. People want it that way. I can hear somebody now. Needing a meeting with King Hezekiah. King, now you know my brother and his family lived up there. And they came in and overthrew. And don't you know they tore the arms of their neighbors off. Because they didn't live in the right house. They didn't do the right thing. They didn't go the right. And King I believe if we surrender and pay the tax, everything will be all right. But how many know when you stand on the Word of God and you got a promise from God, when everybody else, even if they're well-meaning souls, come trying to talk you out of it, you stand on the Word of God. Stand on the Word of God. What am I trying to unmask for you today? First off, we talked about salvation and him whom the Lord strengthened. I'm trying to unmask the fact that God still saves. Now, some of you know this. You can celebrate that. But there's people who really struggle with whether or not God really saves. And is there a transformation that really takes place? Or is this just people that are just like-minded, brainwashed, that come together and they all believe the same lie and they're a bunch of crazy people? There's people that think that way, friends. Because the enemy has lied, intimidated. They think they're on the superior side, superior side of intellect, superior side of ideology. They hurl insults. And lies that sometimes Christians even struggle with. I can imagine Hezekiah saying, Lord, I'm going to trust your word, but I need some prayer. I need to pray with somebody. And he gets the prophet, and they begin to pray. Now, there's, many, there's many battles in the Scripture, when you read them, of how wars were won. 
But this one is one of the most strangest times. It doesn't even really fill in the blank for us well in the scripture. Basically, what happens is nearly 200,000 people are ready to invade a city. And the next day, how the scripture says it, is an angel came through. The next day, all of them lay dead. All of them. Sennacherib in Lachish in one battlefront hears about what happens in Judah and it freaks him out. Freaks him out. He goes back to his homeland into the temple of his God. And while he is back into his homeland in the temple of his God, his own sons, actually two of his sons, come in while he is supposedly calling on his God and kills him. I say powerful, powerful story. When you look at some of the historical data, there is so many things that are written about why would have this many people, and they've talked about different plagues. I'm sure somebody's already saying COVID killed them all. I don't know. They, they, they've talked about like a, a disease that had broken out that destroyed every single one of them. I don't know if, the, if, if a disease, I don't know what it was, except for to say, the Bible says, an angel went through and every single one of them died. And did you see what the Bible said at the very end of that passage of Scripture? Did you hear what it said? Watch this. It says, and many brought gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem. And many brought gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem. You know what New Testament gift you give God? Yourself. Money is just an act of worship. What he's after is you. You want to see how people get born again, people get right with God? Stand for the Lord and let him show himself strong in victories. And that's where the credibility of God, God standing behind his word but people who give up on it, people who quit, people who compromise on it, the world gets the world gets a tool. And that tool is to say what makes God any different than anybody else. And that wraps up this episode of the Covenant Fellowship Podcast. For more information about who we are, please visit us at cfbristol.com or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope that you have a blessed day. 
And as always, just like we find in Isaiah 60, verse 1, we hope you arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you.